1: Now, the WBBM Noon Business Hour.
0: It's 12.03, June 5th, 2023. Good afternoon, and thanks so much for joining us for the Monday edition of the WBBM Noon Business Hour presented by the Village of Bedford Park. I'm Rachel Pearson, and I'm filling in for Rob Hart. Mistakes in credit reports, they can be fixed. We'll cover that in our next segment. Right now, though, it's complicated to know just how much you should have saved for retirement, especially for younger people. We're joined by Ed Jertsen, Certified financial planner and founder of Engage Wealth Group here in Chicago. And Ed, let's uh, let's set the benchmark. Let's start in our twenties because maybe we don't have the foresight to know how much we're going to need. So how do you how do you sort of determine how much you should have saved by that point?
3: Rachel, I think a great lesson for, for your listeners, especially your younger listeners, is to view your world through percentages. So for instance, can someone can you live on ninety percent of your income? And when we address it from that standpoint, rather than saying, can you save 10% but can you live on 90%, that's a good goal. If you can try to save at least 10% of your income or live on 90% of your income, what a great way to kickstart your future years. And obviously the, the younger you start, the better.
0: Well, and I like I like your philosophy there because then it doesn't matter if you're 25, 35, 65, it's the same question of, can you live off of those means? Um, but but let's, let's circle back to your final comment there in that the earlier you can start, the better.
3: Yeah, you know, I don't want your listeners to be frustrated because if they haven't been good savers throughout their life, remember, you've got a long way to go. I mean, not only into your 50s and your 60s, but even your 70s. So don't become disenchanted just because you haven't been able to save because realize life isn't that simple. It's not linear in regards to, oh, life is simple and coming our way because you're going to have expenses that you're not expecting and or you're going to have windfalls that you might not expect. But ultimately, having that financial plan, not just an investment plan, but an in- And a financial plan with a targeted savings rate, again, is a great way to really put that put you on solid financial footing.
0: And there's a difference, too, between having, say, a financial roadmap and some goals in mind than to say this is exactly what I need and this is what my life is going to look like. Because, as you mentioned, there's just so many variables that a benchmark for me would look very different than a benchmark for you.
3: Yeah, this is why I like to say, you know, a, a rule of thumb is good but everyone has their own individual thumbprint. And that's why it's personal financial planning. Yes, you can come up with some benchmarks, a rule of thumb, but at the end of the day, your specific uh, situation is what's really important. And that's why engaging with a certified financial planner to give you that individualized plan would be such a good idea. Because as you mentioned, Rachel, right, life isn't linear. Things come at you in different ways and being, being able to find a good guide a fiduciary guide to navigate you through those uh, challenges as well as those upsides is always a good idea.
0: What advice do you have for an individual who maybe feels like they're behind the ball, right? I, I should have started sooner. I should have more saved by this point, And now it seems too daunting to even begin.
3: Yeah, I love that because oftentimes when I'm doing pub- public presen- pr- presentations, I bring about Harlan Sanders who founded KYC, right? Kentucky Fried Chicken. And so he founded that at 55, or sorry, 65. So it's never too late. As a reminder, it is never too late to start saving. So again, don't look backwards in terms of what you haven't done. Look forward in terms of what you can do. And again, if you've got to accelerate savings, accelerate savings in order to get you again on that firm financial footing.
0: Thanks so much, Ed Jertson, certified financial planner and founder of Engage Wealth Group here in Chicago. You can check out his website, engagewealthgroup.com. Coming up, a look at correcting those errors that can potentially improve your credit score.
1: Compounding your interest with an economy of words. This is the WBBM Noon Business Hour.
0: Checking your credit report regularly can help you see where you can improve your score and your overall financial situation. So joining us with some advice on how to either fix or maybe boost that credit rating is Ted Rossman, industry analyst at creditcards.com in New York. Ted, uh, glad to have you with us. I sort of have a two-part question, and that is, what are some of the most common credit mistakes you see, and then how do we fix them?
4: Errors often involve information that's not yours so maybe it's somebody with a similar name or social security number or maybe it's identity theft sometimes it's you were incorrectly accused of paying late or, or something like that but i think more often it's identity theft or a mistake the best way to fix it is to well first of all identify the error so pull your credit reports at annualcreditreport.com that's a free resource You can do it as often as every week. I think every few months is good for most people. Um, So figure out there's an error. Report it anywhere you see it. So Equifax, Experian, and TransUnion are the three major credit bureaus. Anytime there's a mistake on there, you want to report it. And I would also report it to the financial institution in question. So if there's a, a mistake with an account or an account that doesn't belong to you, I think you should reach out to them as well.
0: I think maybe, and correct me if I'm wrong, but I think a lot of people might be surprised to to pull that report and, and see that there may in fact be a mistake, an error of some sort or other, because I think for the most part, we, we like to trust the system and we like to assume that it's working. But uh, as you mentioned, you're not going to find an issue unless you go looking.
4: Mistakes happen, unfortunately. The FTC says that about one in five Americans have errors On their credit reports. And in some instances, these can be really significant because there is an element of the bigger they are, the harder they fall with credit scores. So if you're starting from an otherwise excellent position, even one late payment can really drag you down in a big way. So it's especially important to check When you're going to be in the market for a loan sometime soon, because you don't want to find out about this mistake when you're in the throes of the mortgage process or if you're sitting in the finance manager's office at the car dealership. It's better to know ahead of time so that you have time to correct anything.
0: Well, and let's talk about the significance of having a good credit score and why it's so important to maintain that. It's
4: so important. I mean, your credit score is one of the biggest numbers in your financial life because it goes a really long way toward determining whether or not you're approved for financial products and the interest rates you'll pay. And because rates are up so much, it's more important than ever. I mean, on a big ticket item like a mortgage, even a half a point difference can make tens of thousands of dollars of difference over the life of the loan. So it's really important to put your best foot forward, practice those good credit fundamentals like paying bills on time, keeping debts low. One great thing you can do in short order is to lower your credit utilization ratio. So that's credit you're using divided by credit available to you on credit cards. Maybe make an extra mid-month payment, knock that statement balance down before it even comes out or ask for a higher credit limit, that can help you pretty quickly.
0: Thanks so much. Ted Rossman, industry analyst at CreditCards.com in New York. Up next, it is a big day for Apple. We'll have the details straight ahead.
1: It's 60 minutes of financial planning. The WBBM Noon Business Hour continues.
0: Apple introducing its new virtual reality headset at its Worldwide Developers Conference today. We welcome Matt Wren, a tech expert and founder of VRAR here in Chicago. And Matt, while the announcement hasn't officially been made. We are getting some insight into this uh, much-anticipated device from Apple. What can you tell us about this this mixed-reality headset?
5: Well, I can tell you right now, I actually have the live stream in front of me of the Worldwide Developers Conference. They haven't announced anything yet. Um, but it was all the talk at Augmented World Expo last week. It was, you know, every, Apple has the ability to move markets. That, that's pretty much how it works. Um, and so there's a lot of anticipation um, you know, the artificial intelligence has gotten a lot of the news, a lot of the spotlight lately, and the fact that Apple's coming out with this device at this time is definitely a vote of confidence for the technology And again, it's expected to inject a lot of attention into the space
0: again. I'm curious, though, to pick your brain on how this device might compare or even compete with other headsets. I'm thinking about Meta and its launch and how it was sort of underwhelming unless you're like a really big techie, right? It doesn't necessarily have huge application. Is Apple anticipating this to be a a household product?
5: Well, I mean, that's the big question. The the expectation from what's been, you know, kind of the word that's been coming out is that it's going to be a pro-level device, a very high-level, you know, high-resolution. It's going to have a lot of processing power. It's expected to be expensive. I think the, the estimated price ranges are around $3,000. So definitely way above what you're seeing for the consumer products that Meta is putting out. Um, you know, more on the pro line of things that, like, um, you know, Vario or Pimax or some of the other companies release. So that's, you know, but that's this initial product. And again, we don't really know what they're going to announce. So, you know, there's expectation that this will be the early announcement. It's going to be a very high level device. It's going to be very expensive. It's going to be focused more on industrial use and developers, but probably with them potentially coming out with a new device a little bit later in the year that's targeted more towards consumers.
0: And, and it's also touting too not just uh, virtual reality, but, but what's described as augmented reality or a mixed reality. Can you sort of help us understand what that looks like?
5: Sure. So this is a this is a big feature that's been developing in most of the modern uh, virtual reality headsets. In fact, Meta just for announced the Quest 3 last week on Thursday, uh, and one of the biggest features that was uh, kind of an upgrade from the Quest 2 is what's called pass through augmented reality, which is essentially there are cameras on the device so that. Even though you're wearing a virtual reality device, you can see your physical space in real time, but there's uh, augmented reality digital content on top of it that you can interact with. Uh, And that's actually a big expectation of this Apple device that's supposed to come out is that, you know, not only are they supposed to have that feature, but they're supposed to have one of the best implementations of that feature.
0: Thanks so much, Matt Wren, tech expert and founder of VRAR Chicago. Still ahead, a look at the impact of Saudi Arabia's decision to cut its oil production and what that means for gas prices.
1: Call from mom. This is Chicago's News Traffic and Weather Station, News Radio 1059. The WBBM noon business hour continues.
0: Good afternoon. I'm Rachel Pearson, in for Rob Hart, and these are the top stories on news radio WBBM. Iowa officials say the bodies of three men missing following a collapse of a Davenport apartment building have now been recovered. Former Vice President Mike Pence moves closer to officially joining the 2024 GOP presidential race. An oil industry expert looks at Saudi Arabia's decision to cut its oil production, plus, it's stock picker Monday, so we'll get a couple of ideas. Ideas from an investment pro. Markets remain mixed. The Dow down 127 points. NASDAQ up 51. The S&P 500 up five points. The WBBM Noon Business Hour continues, presented by the Village of Bedford Park. In Iowa, officials have confirmed that all known bodies have been recovered from the collapsed building in Davenport. Police Chief Jeff Bladel says the last body was removed from the rubble today.
6: With the uh, investigation piece, we were looking for three missing individuals. We don't have any other information at this time that there is any additional people missing and or related to this incident.
0: One injured resident, though, is suing the city and the building's current and former owners. The lawsuit claims they knew conditions were deteriorating and failed to warn residents of the risk. City documents show the historic building's owner had been warned for months that parts of the century-old building were unstable. Former Vice President Mike Pence has set up a challenge to his former boss.
2: The ex-vice president has filed papers for a 2024 presidential run. People familiar with his plan say Pence will formally launch his bid tomorrow, his 64th birthday. Pence enters a race where Donald Trump is leading the early GOP nomination fight. The two men ended their four-year White House run on bad terms, with Pence fleeing for his life during the Capitol in While Pence often lauds their accomplishments together, his nomination would in many ways mark a return to long-held Republican positions, which Trump abandoned. Sagar Magani, Washington.
1: Money Talks as the WBBM Noon Business Hour continues.
0: Stocks are trading mixed this hour. Joining us with the latest on what's moving Wall Street is Hugh Johnson, chairman and chief investment officer at Hugh Johnson Economics based in Albany, New York. And uh, Hugh, there's certainly been a lot of talk about uh, success with the S&P 500 and its gains uh, almost entirely tied to five tech names. I'm thinking Microsoft, Google Parent Alphabet, NVIDIA, Apple, Amazon. That's a lot of weight, though, on just a few shoulders. Is 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 this a concern of narrow leadership leading the economy?
7: Yeah, it, to some extent it's a concern. It's certainly a subject that we're all talking about, saying that maybe there's a lot less there than meets the eye. In other words, the market has not performed as well as we perhaps had been thinking You know, since October of 2022, or since uh, really the low in the so-called bear market. The market's been up 17%. But again, as you rightfully say, that's been on the backs of a very few number of stocks. It has not broadened out. We have not had broad-based participation. But at the same time, if you take the so-called you know, equal-weighted S&P 500, where you don't uh, put too much weight on those five or six or seven stocks, you still had a 12% move to the upside. So it hasn't been all that bad for anybody who's participated at the top, or anybody who has just participated, it's been a fairly good market with some stops and starts along the way. As we get concerned about things like banking crisis and 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 debt default or the problem of the debt ceiling, apparently we get just every now and then we get a stop along the way. And I'm sure we're going to have more stops along the way.
0: Yeah, you mentioned concerns about uh, about the debt ceiling, about inflation. And, and there's also a lot of concern about a recession, at least in the second half of this year. Uh, there has been some encouraging data points uh, as of recently. But I'm curious, sort of what camp are you in? Do you think we're going to reach this soft landing the Fed is so desperately hoping for? It's going to be a close
7: call. But there's a couple of things that tell me that we should, based on history, not have a soft landing. We should have a hard landing. Uh, the, the the main things being the index of leading economic indicators, which tells us kind of where the economy's going, not where it's been. That's declined for 13 successive months, and that's not good news. That's ordinarily that's happened three times in history, and each time it's been accompanied by a recession. And, of course, the yield curve which gets a lot of attention and is also very controversial, is giving us the read that we have about a 60% chance of a hard landing. So I'm in the hard landing camp, but even though it'll be a hard landing, I would say it's going to be a very mild hard landing. Look at third and fourth quarter, and if we do get a hard landing, I think that's when you'll see a change in policy. In other words, the Federal Reserve, instead of raising interest rates, will start to lower interest rates, and then prospects for the economy And importantly, earnings are going to get better, and that's going to be a better financial market environment. I think that's coming. I cross my fingers. I hope that that's coming. And when it does come, I think it's going to be opportunity.
0: Any areas of the market, though, that you're you're finding attractive right now, sort of amid this uncertainty?
7: You know, it's really broad-based in the certain senses that we certainly see technology, communication services, and now even consumer discretionary, Uh, stocks doing well. But at the same time, just behind them are defensive sectors like utilities and staples. So what I'm trying to tell you is that if we're having a hard landing or we're headed towards a hard landing, is simply try to balance out a portfolio. In other words, have some of those technology stocks that have been leading the parade, so to speak, but also have some defense in the portfolio like a utility or consumer staple stock. And I think if you put that kind of balance in, you're going to be well prepared if we have a soft landing, a soft, soft landing, or a hard landing. I think you'll be in good shape.
0: Now, coming up in our next segment, we're going to talk about oil production, but oil prices are poised to move higher. So I'm curious to get your thoughts on energy stocks in sort of that, that sector.
7: Yeah, they had a big move to the upside, as you know, in the 2021-2022 period. And that's because of a big spike in the price of oil. I think the price of oil, even though we're getting production cuts and we're getting a little bit of upward pressure on prices right now, I think, quite frankly, that is reflecting global supply and demand conditions that oil prices are about where they should be or are at equilibrium prices. They're not too low. They're not too high. So I see a little bit of upside, but not much upside. And if I'm right on that, then I think you should... I don't want to say underweight, but maybe only market-weight energy. I would not put a lot of emphasis on energy. There are other places in the market that are working much better now.
0: Thanks so much for joining us. Hugh Johnson, Chairman and Chief Investment Officer of Hugh Johnson Economics in Albany, New York. Up next, as we mentioned, Saudi Arabia slashing oil production. We'll talk about its impact at the gas pump next.
1: The only program dedicated to currency events. You're listening to the WBBM Noon Business Hour.
0: Saudi Arabia has cut in oil production and it's likely to send gas prices higher. Joining us with a closer look at the situation is Phil Flynn, senior market analyst at the Price Group here in Chicago. And Phil, uh, first, let's understand sort of what this decision is from Saudi Arabia, from OPEC and its leaders. Uh, walk us through this decision.
8: Well, I think the, the main thing that we're getting from Saudi Arabia is they're, they're sending a message to the world that they're in charge of the global Energy market and nobody better cross them because they're going to take barrels off the market if they see fit. And and if you if you look at this meeting over the weekend, it really was kind of contentious. The Saudis came in, you know, kind of like really heavy-handed against some of the, uh, the, their other partners. Uh, basically said, hey guys, you know, we're taking away your quota uh, in Africa. We're giving it to another part of Africa. And If you don't like it, you know, you can you know we can flood the market with oil. But at the end of the day, it's the Barrels account, and there's going to be less barrels coming out of OPEC. That means higher prices here in the United States.
0: And we're not do- we're not just talking a few less barrels. We're talking about a million less barrels a day.
8: Yeah, and that's significant. And if you take into account that we cut production, uh, OPEC, 2 million barrels in, in, in April and another 1.7 million barrels before that, this is coming up to some real barrels. And the International Energy Agency is warning that we're going to see a supply shortage in the second half of the year unless something gives. And by that, either the economy has to slow down dramatically um, Or they're going to have to find some new ways to find some oil. And either one of those scenarios don't seem likely right now.
0: Well, and here's the other thing. I mean, OPEC is is responsible for, what, 40 percent of the world's crude oil? I mean, this is a significant impact at the pump, at least. So let's talk about what, what the average driver might notice at the gas pump. You know, I think
8: the, the response has been fairly muted, but the early returns are this is going to add anywhere from 8 to $0.10 cents a gallon to the price of, of gasoline. That's the initial surge. But if this goes on for some time and we don't see demand to really drop, you know, we could be talking 20 or $0.25 cents a gallon later in the summer.
0: What would it take then for, for, say, Saudi Arabia, for OPEC, for its leadership to decide to ramp production back up? What, What is the turning point there?
8: You know, I think at this point, they have to get the prices where they want them. And they're very clear that they feel that the Biden administration, along with other countries when they released oil from the reserve, that they were meddling in the market, right? And and so they want their money back that they lost during that period of time. And I think until we get uh, an agreement, you know, f- between Saudi Arabia and the United States, you know, that they're not going to meddle in the market, I think we're going to continue to see OPEC look out for their best interests and not ours.
0: Thanks so much for joining us, Phil Flynn, Senior Market Analyst at the Price Group here in Chicago. You can join us at this time tomorrow for Travel Tuesday. And of course, still to come, it's Stock Picker Monday. We'll give you a couple of suggestions from an investment pro.
1: Because money matters. This is the WBBM Noon Business Hour.
0: It is Stock Picker Monday. We welcome Ken Crawford, Portfolio Manager at Argent Capital in Clayton, Missouri. And Ken, what's your first pick?
6: Uh, first pick Rachel is Copart. Uh, the ticker is CPRt. Copart is a uh, vehicle uh, repair supplier, uh, I guess in you know in a lo- lesser vernacular, a junk shop. Um, we like them for a couple of reasons. The first is, I'm sure you and your listeners have realized, that there is a lot more electronic stuff in there, in your cars, which means when you get into an accident or need repairs, it's much more expensive. That increases coparts, parts uh, availability. Uh, and then the second is, as we continue to move out of pandemic, so kind of hibernation to back to real world, more people on the road. Uh, that can mean more bumps and grinds and therefore more business for Copart uh, going forward.
0: And it's also worth noting, too, that uh, cars are becoming more and more expensive to repair. And for something Correct. like a company like Copart, that's that's uh, good for business.
6: That's, that's music to their ears. They also have about a couple billion dollars on their balance sheet. So if they saw something that they'd like to buy, they would be uh, very able to reach into their pockets and make
0: acquisitions. All right, that first pick, Copart, the ticker CPRT. Ken, what's your second pick?
6: Second pick is Waste Connections. It's a, uh, a refused company, a garbage company. Um, we like them because there are high barriers to entries. Uh, as you would expect, there aren't too many people who want to have a garbage dump in their backyards. So if you own those facilities, um, you've got a competitive advantage. Waste Connections is primarily rural. So you think about Waste Management and Republic, two names probably more familiar to your listeners than, than Waste Connections. Waste Connections being rural has a little bit less competition uh, to themselves. They're growing faster than their peers. And because they are relatively smaller, they've been able to make acquisitions to grow their business faster as well.
0: And I also, from what I understand, Waste Connections seems to have a lot of new sustainability initiatives in mind as well.
6: That's right. So when you've got that pile that is sitting in in the hinterlands, it's generating compostable materials, methane. So Waste Connections is capturing that uh, uh, natural gas and selling it back to municipalities. And and that is improving its profitability as well.
0: That's Waste Connections, the ticker WCN. Thanks so much. Ken Crawford, Portfolio Manager at Argent Capital in Clayton, Missouri. If you missed any part of today's noon business hour, we'll have the replay podcast available shortly at wbbmnewsradio.com as well as on the Odyssey app.